I'll stand on the protocol but recognize the chairman of council and my old friend right honorable Joe Ajaho while they are getting the presentation ready to be put there I'll tell you what I'm going to try to do uh, today I'll liken the economic takeoff of any nation like a plane trying to take off we in Ghana have been on the tarmac all these 64 years you need to prepare and take off without microeconomic stability you cannot take off so we are still on the tarmac I'll try to work with you to reimagine the Vice Chancellor made it engineer way, re-image. My topic is reimagining. You and I are going to imagine how Ghana can adopt a new development trajectory because the path we have been taking, the stop go gap will not work. And then see how we can then deliver a prosperous and peaceful Ghana. Ghana is already peaceful. We are the envy of most people, relatively peaceful. A Chinese friend of mine who moved to Nigeria came back two weeks ago and said, Mr. PNM, Nigeria cannot get out. Two of my colleagues, their families are looking for money to ransom them. They were kidnapped. But I mean, Ghana can walk anywhere, so we have it. We've been spared a lot of natural disasters. Ebola came, we didn't have it. Where we are located, there are no hurricanes. Every morning I start by swimming. By the time I got out of my pool, there were a couple of mails from the registrar. When you need an executing group around you, you need somebody like the registrar of UPSA to get things moving. And I'm hoping by the miracle I'm going to talk about, all the universities, the institutions, presidency will have chief of staffs like the registrar of UPSA. I thank you, first of all, for having the insight to institute this leadership lecture. It has become increasingly and painfully evident that the leadership deficit in Africa is very expensive. When we start showing the graphs, I'll show you how Ghana and Korea started at the same level of per capita income around the 1960s. In fact, we were higher. 62 years later, Korea has a GDP per capita of 33,000 US dollars. Ghana, 2,000 US dollars. The leadership deficit cost is 30 million dollars, 30,000 dollars per head 
of every Ghanaian that people like me and the political leaders of this country owe as a reparation to each Ghanaian the cost of the leadership deficit. So you are addressing a, a problem that is dear to the heart of not only Ghanaians but of Africans. Secondly, the list of the competent and accomplished Ghanaians that have come here. As a struggling Catholic, I'm not fit to step in the shoes of Cardinal Texan. As a humble subject of the Golden Stool, I'm not fit, not even allowed, to step close to the sacred sandals of His Majesty of Tomb Four, Osei Tutu II, as Antigone, my overlord and king of Ashanti. So I'll try to sidestep gingerly as I go through to try to let us think a little bit today, have a conversation. And thirdly, I thank you for inviting me. I'm humbled by the invitation. When I compare me to the previous, those who have preceded me in front of this uh, podium. I think you are trying to become one of the many Ghanaian institutions that are trying to make history by inviting alongside these distinguished people an ex-convict like me. Congratulations. Korea had the good fortune of benefiting from U.S. geopolitical concerns, trying to contain communist Russia and communist China, and therefore opened U.S. markets to them, U.S. technology, U.S. capital. So consider all that. They did that. Spread U.S. security umbrella across Korea so that in a very hostile environment it could focus on development. But yes, Korea took advantage of them. And as I'll show on the graph by the plane, after you've stabilized macroeconomic stability, you need to take off critical mass. But to take off, you need to have some products and services that you can then supply to the global world. And Korea started with garments, textile, wigs. That was the springfall, the springboard. And they managed within 20, 25 years to attain critical mass, launch itself, and are now cruising. And when you get to the cruising level, that is where it's a virtuous cycle of growth, where self-regenerating growth takes place, where you reach above $10,000 per capita income, 
then your disposable income is enough to feed your basic needs and you can save. So the nation can move from national savings of about 12% of GDP to about 30-35. And that 30% GDP, if you need three units of capital to produce one unit of goods, then at least we can be assured of 10-8% annual rate of growth. And if, GDP, if your population is also modulated, then you can also grow steadily. That's where we want to go. And I said Korea had all these advantages, but they took advantage of it. Africa was given the African Growth Opportunity Act to export duty-free selected items to the U.S. market. What did Ghana do with it? Not too much. So I say, yes, Korea had the opportunity, but it took advantage of it. We had something. We didn't take advantage of it. And when the graph comes, you see how it goes. And then the next graph shows the widening. As we took off together, Korea is going like that, and we are gliding like this at the bottom. The graphs will also show you that Korea invests a lot in education. I had a chat before this lecture with Dr. Leticia Adelaide Apia of the National Population Council. Most of us in the, during our development programs don't think much about the National Population Council. After I talked to her, I got two of my uh, friends to say, let's project the population of Ghana. What will it look like? Are the 2.12% annual rate growth of population? Because our fertility level has continued high. Mortality is declining. Therefore, constant about 2, 2%, 2.1%. If we continue doing that, by 2057, we'll be 69 million Ghanaians in this small place. See how crowded we are. It will burden the free senior high school system, the school system, the university systems. Lecturers will be lecturing 200 students in the primary schools, 100, 200 people. But if you are able to modulate the population, because we started with Korea, 3%, 3.5% for us, 3.2% for Korea, of annual growth, annual growth of population in the 1960s. They brought it down so drastically they are now negative and are trying to encourage people to have more children. And we are still doing it. We cannot develop, no country has ever developed a 2% growth in population. And with every woman, not every woman, the average woman having six children, we can't do it. The olden days when my mother had 10 children and had a sheep delivered to her for having 10 children, it's over. 
we need to modulate our population. So I was going to give that to you in a graph, but I said I will not frighten you because that is just projecting. But if we are able to modulate it to 1.1% in the first half, because look, we have 33 years to go. 33 years before 2057 when we're celebrating our 100th anniversary. Korea did it in 2025 years. You and I can do it. But to do it, we need to modulate the population. So if we are able to bring down population growth to about 1.1% for the first, the next 13 years or so, and then to 0.7% for the next 20 years before we go to 2057, then we have a population of about 45 million. That is manageable. And I set a target of $10,000 GDP. That is easily attainable. Why 10? We could do more. But I wanted to move away from the current pattern of stop growth. If I were to show you the graphs, you see that we go 11%, 8%, 0%, 0.5%. What we need to do is what the Latins say, festina lente. slowly, prudently, and I said it at between 5 to 6% annual growth of rate. If we do that, we've gone to the IMF 17 times. We don't want to go there again. No more 18. But if we modulate the population, we should be able uh, to do that. And what I'm going to do is to invite you to join me as we reimagine a new development trajectory for Ghana. And I do that in an interview with my great-granddaughter. Because what we are going to do is to make sure that we deliver a continued, relatively peaceful and prosperous country to our grandchildren. The way we've been living at the expense of our grandchildren, borrowing for them to repay, is not sustainable, and we have to change it. And we do this by making sure that we have the relative macroeconomic stability that we need. You cannot save and invest safely when your city is slipping like a yo-yo every time. The teachers' fund I helped set up for them would have been a one billion, two billion dollar fund. It wasn't that the city was being badly mismanaged, but even that, I think they are close to about nine hundred million dollars now. So we need to stabilize the currency, and if it's not stable, every businessman is rushing the foreign ones. Those who are making money every quarter, they are declaring dividends and taking it out. And this is why we are always short of dollars. And we need a modicum of rule of law. All of us 
under the law, not just a few. If you don't have rule of law, we can't move. Discipline. All that has been happening, not that there are no laws, the Public Financial Management Act is solid. None of what has happened, they say they should not have happened. Parliament should have made sure it didn't happen. But none of our institutions made sure. And then it happened. So we need a delicately balanced political stability, also microeconomic stability, political stability. If you don't have political stability, you grow fast like Ethiopia. But you have to fight yourself to destroy what you built. Rwanda is doing well. They haven't gone through the political process we've gone through. Touch wood, I hope. They don't have to fight among themselves when they are trying to get their politics together. And the politics means you and I being able to disagree peacefully and making concessions so that we can move. The institutional checks and balances should work. The judiciary should work to deliver fair justice to all. Not only that, the universities should work. Our school, so that when somebody comes to you as a master's degree and says, I've done this, it was not that somebody wrote the things for them, but they really studied. So all of us, you and I, have to make sure that we can deliver this. So I invite you, join me. as we do this reimagining. A miracle happened in Ghana from the ashes of the economic debacle, meltdown, call it whatever, of the 2020s. The unprecedented bankruptcy that we declared. Poverty raised 27% and rising. Public debt hovering 90% of GDP. Governments trying to spend 27% of GDP when we raise only about 15% of taxes and grants. This is where we were. But from these ashes, green shoots sprang up. And there was a miracle. We decided no more no more 18. We are not going to break the 18. We are not going to have an 18th IMF uh, strategy. So at Ghana, at 100, we'll be peaceful and prosperous. Peaceful and prosperous, that is, you and I will make sure that the average Ghanaian also benefits from this inclusive growth. Because you and I are only safe and secure when the many poor are also prosperous. Not even prosperous, but they can eat two, three square meals a day. And I do this in a discussion, an interview with my great-granddaughter. 
who is 28, doing a study on the economic miracle of Ghana. We are cleaner than Singapore. Can you imagine that? Clean. I had the occasion recently to drive to Pando. A region that used to be very clean. I also drove from Sunyani by road to Kumasi. In the middle of the roads, plastic all around. You can see grass as tall as this by the roadside. In the olden days, we in communal activity would have cleaned them, but now we wait for Zoom Lion to clean it. And when Zoom Lion is cleaning it, our tax monies are not enough to pay. So we go to the Eurobond to borrow to pay. And that's why we are where we are. But we imagine a clean, prosperous, peaceful Ghana. The only thing I'd like you to indulge me is that I'm still alive in 2057. Don't ask why I'm still hanging around. The greatest national security officer we've had in this country, Captain Kojochi Kata, once said that those of us beyond 40 in the revolution, remember, they wanted everybody over 40 gone because they were under 30. He said those of us old people were waiting in the departure room in order to get our wooden pajamas. I know what the wooden pajamas is. But I'm still hanging around. And I'm excited. The interview is taking place in 2056. And I'm excited that Ghana is so prosperous. The miracle had happened. Just as excited as when I was a teenager in Achimode School, I welcomed the independence of Ghana in 1957. And in those early days, we did not even think the sky was the limit. And the ambitions we had for Ghana, the blaster of Africa, seemed to have no bounds. And before we do that, let us encourage ourselves with a quotation from the American cultural anthropologist, Professor Margaret Mead, and I quote, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful and committed individuals Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed individuals can change the world. And she says, it, has, it is the only way the world has ever changed. So I invite you and I with a few ideas to see how we can change our beloved Ghana.
and we start with the questions. And and I start by saying, how do we remove the shackles? I've gone one step uh, ahead of me. We, the shackles, in order to have nimble feet, to be able to take off, there were shackles around us that we needed to remove. First is a population drug. We've talked about it already. That is, we need to move. And the population drug was removed when Parliament passed an act abolishing child marriages. The Constitution of Ghana says you are a child until you are 18. Nobody could marry anybody under 18. And the district assemblies, and I said, reinvigorated. But maybe what we should talk about is repackaged and re-strengthened. Worked with the traditional rulers and made sure that this law worked. And it worked in that everybody in the district and we move what I call a national population and development council that will cover also the birth and death register on the rate and the national identification authority also on the rate because in most countries everybody is born in a district so you are registered in the district where you are it's your district number registered number that you use to get a passport and that will get you into education free education everywhere at the district level and these people they work together to make sure that child marriages are no more and once we have a handle on the population we can then go ahead and I said Well, that we modulated the population to around 45 uh, million. And that meant that we could do what we wanted to do, grow, be able to finance education. And then corruption was the other thing we had to get rid of. Because whether you like it or not, what has been killing this country is corruption. And then all our politicians have made us believe that spending is development. Why? Because around spending procurement is the web where our personal interests are our percentages and in order to kill that 
my granddaughter asked me how was corruption killed and I said it was difficult but not difficult parliament passed an act based on the prisoner dilemma the prisoner's dilemma the dilemma puts attention between the giver and the taker so that whoever reports first and we have six months within which to report if you took the bribe and you went and reported you kept the bribe if you gave the bribe and went and reported your bribe was given back to you and you got 50% of the fine, the penalty that was imposed on the other person which is 200% of whatever he did and then if we are a contractor you get 5 points for any future government contracts that you apply for and the guilty party is given 10 years prison sentence minimum if the contract had anything to do with health hospitals education infrastructure that may endanger human life the penalty was life and we killed corruption just by putting tension between the giver and the taker so that the first to report benefits and it worked the next question my granddaughter put to me was that Opa I hear you also killed corruption using digitalization. I say yes. Because she had gone to try to interview the control accountant general and the district assembly common fund administrator and she found out they were robots what we did in the miracle was that all payment systems were digitalized you didn't need a control accountant general the big staff you had young ICT savvy people wearing sneakers and sandals wandering around the robots social security payment salaries third party payments from the control accountant general where people queue up there all that is digitalized SNIT payments the digital assembly common fund 7% it's all digitalized a percentage of tax revenue so immediately tax revenue went in to the control accountant general the robot just pushed a button and when the pattern was pushed, the salaries were dispersed into our accounts. SNIT got their payments. This Assembly Common Fund got their payments. And there too, there's no district assembly administrator. It's a robot. That robot, Parliament has already said that district assemblies, this percentage 
goes to this district, this district. The robot punches. And every district, the money is put in the account. So there's no more. We haven't received the district assembly common fund for three months. The third quarter has still not come. The first quarter has still not come. And we are in June or July. Computers went. And for contractors, it was done physically. We have a road contract to be built in one year. It means every month we will pay you 8%. The last 4% payment is paid when you present the final certificate and in exchange for the paper you give as guarantee, your performance bond. So when we take your performance bond, we give it to you, we give you the last 4%. Automatic, every month is paid. If the algorithms find out that you are getting the money paid and your physical performance is less, it converts what you have been overpaid as a loan. And remember, your bank has guaranteed that. So your bank has to pay in the interest to do it. And you can't go and talk to a robot the algorithms are there to make sure. National Health, this is also sent. And the doctors who are providing services to them also see. It's plain. We publish it. Business and Financial Times, that's what they publish. The contractors, you are paid. You can't come and tell me I bought bricks from you. I can't pay. I've not been paid. I can see there. So a little bit of sunlight also helps to kill corruption. Even Galamsi, the intractable one, was killed. I see it here, Naps. And I invite you. An all-girls school in Kumasi. Prepare the software. Can you to help them? And they arrange with a space program of India. And put it up there. Satellite. And have a digitalized map of Ghana everywhere so to be flashing red where Galamsey is going on and it's beamed our public uh, our uh, favorite TV programs at the corner of it will be flashed where the red lights are so the chief of staff the Minister for Lands, the CDS, the IGP, District Chief Executives, Nananum, District Chief Executives, none of them can feign ignorance or being complicit in the destruction of our environment. We'll all see it uh, being done. So even that, with a little bit of ICT, the destruction of our rivers. Children being born with deformities. Our cocoa exports being blocked because of cyanide residue. The destruction of our rivers. 
and I traveled recently. The only river that was not brown and dark was the Barakesi Dam in Ashanti. And even that, we killed it with ICT. And then, the question was also asked. How did we manage to stop the overspending that of macroeconomic instability? Because as I said, we're spending too much. But that also, we did it by reimagining the state. By right-sizing the government. Government was then limited to where its core competencies are. To provide security, primary health, education, all the good things that we need to have a human capital that will help us develop. If you take a look later on at the graph that will show the education rate of uh, Korea, it has the best, most skilled workforce in the world. You cannot develop with a workforce human capital that is low. So we need to invest a lot in human capital. We can do that if the government has enough resources uh, to do that. And we get government to do the to get away from the things that others can do better. And I compare it with the companies also. You know when Valco came to Ghana in the early 60s there were no private sector people to provide services to it. So we built a Valco hospital. We built Kaiser Flats to house its people. It had its own transportation. But now, the companies that come now, your people can go by Uber, they can go by taxi, they can go by buses. You don't need to do that. The same way, when the Ghana government we like the people Imagine poor Osage for Dr. Kwame Nkrumah trying to develop this country. How many engineers did we have? Doctors, skilled professionals, negligible. Now in Ghana, and I keep saying, there is no field of human endeavor that there are no Ghanaians performing at the highest level. When a great American senator had a problem with a brain cancer, one of the doctors working on him was a trained doctor, not from one of the heritage schools from Fancy Vincent or Gesson and this, Navrongo Secondary School. 
So we have the people, big data, everywhere. We have the people. So the government can now step aside and let the people in. The only thing that people don't have is access to capital. And you and I, we are going to reimagine how we can capitalize them. So there are a few things that the government can do. The government, education, health, security, our ports. No private citizen should be manning anything at the airports. Our airports are security gate. Harbors, the government should man them. But when it comes to railways, the government now has no business. We can give sovereign guarantee to Ghanaians. Some of them will own the tracks. Just like we own the roads, the government owns the roads. When it comes to running, the rolling stock, I can own a rolling stock on the rail and say all I want is to take people and their cars from Accra to Kumasi for their funerals. You put your car in it, you sit in it, sleeper, it goes to Kumasi in the night, drops you, you get into your car and do your business. Is this new? It happened when I was young. That's why we are reimagining the sleeper Freeway was there. You put your car on it, sit in it. When you go to Kumasi, get your car, drive it, put it right back, and come back. So we are reimagining. The only condition, and so all the state enterprise that we have, there's no business in government owning banks, owning hotels, sell them to Ghanaians. Transparently, it's difficult, even some of my people in the NPP who believe in private enterprise. They are jealous of people because they are being sold. In my life, I've come across some of the wealthiest people in the world. Serious billionaires. I don't envy them. They sleep three hours a day, making sure other people are working. Working. They create jobs for the people. Sleep three hours a day. They don't have time to enjoy their yachts and planes. They don't have time to sit and eat and drink the good wines that they can afford. Why do you envy them? One Ghanaians accepted that businessmen constituted a national asset to be cherished so that they develop ulcers, high blood pressure in creating jobs for the youth. So that the youth are employed gainfully, healthily employed, and they are not a threat to us on the streets. We allow them to buy all these state assets and run them. And then they have to find the capital to recapitalize them, the working capital, and have sleepless nights to keep some of these because some of the most difficult people in this country are our workers. It will be their headache to train them and work with them. So with that also, we make sure that we right-size the government 
government got out, the private sector came in. It became a good partnership where we recognized that the private sector was a partner for the business of development, and they are the ones who can do it. I saw in the budget that the Minister of Finance presented uh, this year that he was now talking about this partnership with the private sector. Maybe we would have done better if we have given him a 14-month term to come up with good ideas. The mistake is that Minister of Finance and industry are going to chair it. We don't want them to chair it. We want the AGI and the people to chair with them as co-chairs. We don't want politicians telling businessmen what they are going to do for them. We want politicians to be humble enough to go to the business people and say, what can we do to help you do better what you are doing? To go and listen, not to go and tell them. So with state has stepped down, the private sector has come in. And the other question my granddaughter asked me is, how did we get the private sector to be respected so that we can entrust them with this? And I said, once the macroeconomic environment was stabilized, they also lowered their profit expectations, so they were not trying to make profit quick in order to sneak away some of their dollars outside or under their bed to buy, to fund the next cycle of uh, their business. So their profit margins were there. They were doing corporate social responsibility at the villages. And then when you went to a podium like this, it not be my friend, Right Honorable George Aho, who will be recognized, but the businessman who is selling successfully Charlie and his, from his constituency, who will be recognized. That's the respect that we then started giving to uh, businessmen. Then how do we finance them? We create entrepreneurship Development Fund, EDF. The first seed capital comes from the disvestiture of Bank of Ghana for misholdings in banks. It doesn't make sense for a referee to also be part of the game. So Ghana International Bank, uh, all the banks in Ghana where the Bank of Ghana is a shareholder, out. We sell them. They say assets that we sold, those are not going to be used for current expenditure. It's also banked there. And this EDF will also manage the sovereign guarantee. What is a sovereign guarantee? Sovereign guarantee is when the government says this engineer, Joe Ejaho, he has 15 years business experience in mining. Go mining. Okay. Joe, you can 
If we give you a gold concession, you can mine it. Yes. What do the, the companies from Australia, America, what do they come to do? They come, they borrow money, hire our people, hire other experts from outside. We give them the concessions. They then take the gold that is in it. So, on the ground, it's half a trillion, five hundred billion dollars of gold. Capitalize it, go to the market and borrow. Why can't Engineer Joe Ajaho be given a sovereign guarantee of a hundred million dollars? And all the sovereign guarantee says is that any bank here in Ghana or outside who finances Engineer Joe Ajaho, hundred million, if he's not able to pay, will pay. And the gold in the mine will now be part of his assets. What bank will not finance him? He can then recruit Ghanaian engineers, Australian engineers, American engineers to do it. And then we'll not be sitting in our bars complaining the gold mines are leaving only uh, 15% in uh, royalties. The oil, we get only 15%. I remember when I went to my mother, who is a bit of a witch, she knew more economics. If I could explain it to her in fee, and she was explaining to me. I said, we have found gold, fantastic. She listened to me, oil. I said, Asar, so who's going to be digging it? I said, oh, the foreign investors. <laughs> and how much will we get? I didn't mind her. She said, ah, so if somebody comes, borrows your mortar and your fufu pounder, bring his own materials, your materials pound the fufu and get about five balls and gives you one third of one ball. Are you doing well? I said, oh, you're before, Dodo. So now, we are financing our own because we have the people. So we are able to finance our people to do what we want them to do. And then, so we finish that. We know the financing, sovereign. The other thing is, how do you? She then said, grandfather, great-grandfather, you talk about your plane and that you need a springboard to jump off. Korea had test this and that. And of course, Korea, within 20 years, with a highly educated workforce, are now exporting integrated circuits, cars, electronic devices. Ghana, 62 years after, we are still exporting gold, cocoa beans, even the beans we are not able to process into cocoa, liquor, butter, and cake, even though we say we're going to do that. And now we added all to it. We are shipping it out. So she said, what did Ghana find? Because I told her, 
the options for Ghana for takeoff. We cannot copy any country. We can't do what China did. Not India, what India did. Not what Korea did. But our educated people have to scan the global supply chain and identify where we can use our natural and human resources to add value to things to deliver to the global market. Say, so what did you have? And I say, sweetheart, you remember the 2020s. Those were the high days of transition to green energy. Fortunately, Ghana had lithium, cobalt, manganese, graphite, most of the battery-grade materials we have in Ghana. We also have the people. It is now high chemistry. Botswana is trying to take its lithium process it. Who is leading and helping them? Professor Joe, Professor James Dakwa, a Ghanaian professor of chemistry. What they do now, and the copyright, some of the people you work with have copyrights, proprietary rights to the technology. It's not like what we do now, we take the uh, raw material and process it for gold and dump the rest. And some of the residues send it to Switzerland and those who are refining it will take the platinum and so forth. No. They refine it by stream. So the gold, the lithium, everything goes down. So you can then take your platinum, everything. High chemistry. So we have the people. And even in the Ghana Beyond Aid now, want to give concessions of lithium just as we're doing it in the 1850s so that vessels will come to Tema and Takrari and I saw a write-up in the Australian American company that is buying seeking concessions in Ghana they are close to good ports so they can take the soil put it in and ship it there to add value we can dig it add value here so that our young people, our young engineers and chemists will stay home to add value to our resources instead of walking through the desert to Libya to cross the seas in dinghy boats even during the slave trade good boats were brought here because the slave drivers have to be in the boat themselves. But we continue to export our natural resources. Our young people will follow them, thinking they are greener pastures, to countries that are closing their borders. Because they don't want them. They want our lithium and raw materials, but they don't want our people to follow them. And I said, this is what we did. The Democratic Republic of the Congo is now negotiating 
with Glencore, the Chinese, and all the European companies who are mining these mineral, battery-grade mineral ores. That we take, we have 20%, 40% in your company. We don't want you to give us dividends. We will take it in raw materials. They say they are going to market it themselves. We are saying the government free right interest to mines. The government interest. If foreigners are the ones doing it, we will take it and put it to the plants where we'll be processing. So we process the lithium, cobalt, and all these, and arrange with other African countries that have the copper we don't have to exchange parts so that we have it here. And when the materials are here, Samsung and the battery producing companies will come. And when they produce the batteries, then the companies that have come here to build internal engine vehicles will tell them if you want to stay and continue we want electric cars and I told my great granddaughter one of the things that Ghana also had was that we had the African continental free trade area the head office was here you see the location of Ghana we are the center of the earth Meridian and then the zero Tema right there so we also had one of the biggest international cargo ports and in Poho just on top of Takradi all these are proposals that have been put before government so I'm not just imagining I'm re-imagining the port on top of Takrade near Mpoh. That makes it possible to be used at the warehousing for the African continental free trade area. So people want to export things to the African market. 54 countries, a billion consumers will use Ghana as a warehouse. And then we have smaller planes moving. We don't want the government to be in airplanes. They are already Ghanaians doing very well running airlines but we need the big cargo thing and the things that cannot come by boat they come uh, through the harbor so I said sweetheart with the African continental free trade area and lithium and this we have the platform to move but we also don't want to just be we need to diversify and what happened what the financing measure that we have. So what Parliament said was that every three Ghanaians with 15 years practical operational experience in whatever field you are in, if you put together a company, we'll finance you. If you have an engineer for the technical aspects, a finance person and a managerial person, who finance you? You're a professor, run one of the CSIRs, you found something you want to commercialize, come. Get three people. 
the only condition we made know this is that 30% of your company has to belong to the workers and to restrict every year you declare profits 50% of your profits is declared and divided as dividends so that your workers also get their part the same on the farms the people who have trained and certified as agricultural technicians, engineers. They will come, and whether you wanted equipment for farming yourself, or equipment to use for land preparation, harvesting, we'll give it to you. Or if you just wanted to buy a truck, a refrigerated truck, where you go as a mobile slaughterhouse, to slaughter the chicken for the small poultry farms, for them, package it. We'll give you a loan. So we blurred the line between owners and workers. And all these companies also had to list on the Ghana Stock Exchange. So the workers were happy. The teachers fund invested on the on the funds. And if you're a Ghanaian company, you sourced your goods, mean engineering services, materials from Ghanaian owned companies, you got a special tax exemption. All tax exemptions were abolished. No tax exemptions. You come to dig gold. We are not asking you to give us your capital. Once you make a profit, pay some. So that the police can make sure you are secure. So that the roads can be made, you can drive on. The only tax exemptions will be for Ghanaians who are sourcing goods from other Ghanaians. And especially a higher rate for those who source from female-owned businesses. Why? Because our women are the ones who make sure our children are fed, clothed, and they go to school. My brother, you and I, when it comes to watching children, we are useless. I tell people on my fish farm, how often are we feed them? Three times a day. Eh? So seven, yes. About twelve, yes. About three, yes. Pepe, pepe, yes, sir. I'm with them on ten o'clock, eleven. So we fed them. Oh no, sir. <laughs> oh come. They take the feed and go and dump it. Three. It's like you and I, my brother. If we are watching an exciting football, and our wife left the baby beside us, the baby will die. But I see women talking, watching TV, and still watching the baby. They are multitasked. You and I, we are trained genetically to be looking out for the lion to shoot. We can multitask, single task. So the only concession that was being given was to these people. Uh, from sourcing, and we make sure that Ghanaians source from one another. 
You'll be surprised if you go out. Now, go to any Chinese company, give them business. Follow their chain. The gravel, the cement, everything they source it from there. Chinese. And it's not only them. Those who have been in our midst, the Lebanese, the Indians, they also are successful. They source from one another. We have to learn to work together to source from one another. And if you are doing that, you are given a concession. The funding, I've gone through the funding, it's okay. And one of the things my granddaughter asked me about, how did we institute discipline? My son Elton, very bright boy, he has a gap. And it makes sense. He rightly observed, Daddy, Ghanaians, because he once also said that if we are given half a trillion, that's 500 billion dollars, and we use 70 billion to settle our debts. He said, Daddy, it will not benefit the poor. We will not use it to develop. 50% of it, we will steal. And the other 50% will lose it through our incompetence. It is true. But he also said, Daddy, we Ghanaians, not that we are genetically thieves, but there are no incentive systems that guide us to do what is right and socially healthy. Just as there are no disincentive systems that monitor, track, arrest, prosecute, and sanction us if it means you've been taking us uh, to prison. It's not. And we need to move that there is discipline, that these sanctions work. No Jantua. And I don't know whether the things I'm seeing now existed when I was young and I didn't see it, or just now. People say, Oh, it's normal. You are the head of uh, this university. You are the registrar. Hey, registrar, your sister's Mary's daughter has applied to UPSC. They are going to do the exams. Oh, okay, that's good. Let them do the exam. I hope that way. Oh, no, no. But we are there. Make sure they get in. Somebody calls me. They say you are the only person who can make sure that my child goes to sixth form in this school. I say, oh. Did your child pass? No, no, no. He failed. So how can he go to sixth form if he failed? Oh, you can get uh, her in and then she will do the exam 
privately. And then I said, but let them go and repeat. No, psychologically it's bad for him. I said, why is it bad? Winston Churchill failed all level three times. Go and fail and do it. People are convincing Ghana. It's not what you know, but whom you know. It's wrong. When I used to drive, I'm driving to Takurade. The police stopped me. You know they had these guns. They point at you. Stop me. Sir, you are going 80 miles in a 60, 80 kilometers in a 60 kilometers. As in actually, I was doing 100. Eh? Okay. You are going to come to court. I said, second day is too far. Let me go to court. In Accra. No, no, you have to talk to my boss. I said, okay. Then I see the boss coming. As he's approaching, his face changes. He's recognizing me. He comes. Hello, Mr. Pierre. How are you? I say, fine. Where are you going to? I say, talk right there. Okay. I say, boss, I'd like to go to Accra to court. Not Who says you are going to court? Corporal, did you arrest Mr. Pierre? No, sir. <laughs> Have a good trip, sir. My son, who's working as stay in America, always been a serious boy, an engineer, very serious. I said, I said, Daddy, he should have arrested you and given you a ticket. He said, why? Because everybody has to be under the law. I said, okay, Nikki, I agree. But why start with me? He says, exactly you they have to start with. <laughs> so, we all need to go under the law. And I'm going to try to end by saying you and I 62 years or 64 we've been struggling to get this vessel this plane off we are held down by corruption, excessive reckless spending, called procurement. Everybody wants to do procurement. In my reimagined state, procurement is not done at the ministries. The ministries are supposed to do monitoring and evaluation. So ministers should be calm in their offices, thinking and projecting ahead. Now go to any ministry. It's filled with people, vendors. We ship that to the districts. We ship that to elected district chief executives. The Ghana Education Service should be doing that. The Ghana Health Service should be doing that. Don't the ministries. My granddaughter asked me, when you shipped all these people, use the robots, wouldn't there be unemployment? No. The district assembly common fund staff will move from the head office when we put a computer there to go to the region to strengthen the administration and the financial controls there. The ministries, only policymakers, monitoring and evaluation team will be left. The rest will shift to the districts. An elected district chief executive repackaged. We'll make sure we have 265 
centers of initiative for development. Not all of us sitting under the Jubilee House tree waiting for manna to fall. Only one center thinking for us. 265. Nature adores diversity. The more diverse we have it, the better. So that a thousand flowers will bloom, as the Chinese say. And from this elected 265 district assembly, chief executives working, will be able to identify and monitor them. Those who use their district assembly common fund to finance the carpenters around them to make chairs. And those who give the contracts to sexy girls to come to Accra to buy Chinese-made plastic chairs to take them. To do procurement in Accra instead of buying food, fresh food, for the districts around them. We'll monitor them. We'll know who is credible, who is honest, and those are the ones we'll pick our presidents from. We'll know them. The press cannot sell us anybody they want. We'll not follow the trend of Ukraine, Argentina, past America, where TV pundits become presidents because they know how to lie, lie to us. But all these things is within us. We can do it. But utilization will help us. If you file your S. Gracia application, the algorithms will say the Constitution did not qualify you. And even though Jubilee House has added you, it won't pay you. You are not part of it. And if you file it and the algorithm says that you are an MP, you superintended over budgetary deficits, you are incompetent, you don't deserve S. Gratia, you will not be paid. So, with algorithms, a little bit of sunlight, and there's nothing like sunlight for sanitizer. So I end by saying, when I was young, we didn't have TikTok and all that. So a lot of the things we did, we read comics. There was a comic called Pogo. Pogo and his friends, his troops, they've been going around for years looking for the enemy to slaughter. One morning, Pogo summoned his troops. We found the enemy. They all came there with their guns, swords, ready. Mighty leader, show us the enemy and we went and slaughtered the enemy. And said, we found the enemy. Unfortunately, and that's a good Ghanaian, I'll say, unfortunately, it is us. Grammar should say, I should say, unfortunately, it is we, the enemy. Why do I say that? What has been dragging us in discipline, 
corruption, excessive compulsive borrowing, in spite of the laws. All these, you and I, can put together and change. We have 33 years before 2057. Korea did it about 20, 25 years. When I was in graduate school, nineteen sixties, we're told the Chinese can never develop. Their culture will not make them develop. China has savings rate about fifty percent. They've developed about eleven thousand dollars per capita income. Clean cities, engineers strong. We can do it, but we have to put our mind to say yes. And it is not just you and I alone. As Margaret Mead said, a small group of thoughtful and committed individuals. We have to be thinking. A friend of mine whose first language was German, Ghanaian, whenever the student did something wrong and say, what he say? I thought. He said, don't thought, think. And people say, oh, we should think outside the box. No. I want Ghanaian to think. I don't care where you think, inside, outside. Uh, what about the box? But I think that we can do it. And the way to do it is that we deliver this prosperity. I'll try to blur capitalism, ownership, and that. We deliver to the needs of the majority of us who are poor, not the wants of people like me. Because once we deliver to the basic needs of the people, and they are reasonably happy, then you and I are safe. So for those of you who be around, for the 100th anniversary of Ghana, 2057, I say happy anniversary, Ayuko, and God bless our homeland Ghana. <laughs>